The all-new Toyota RAV4 asks, what if? What if your ride was refined and rugged at the same time? Introducing a car that's got style and substance to spare. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Featuring a sophisticated, muscular new exterior and available options like a premium JBL audio system and panoramic roof. The all-new RAV4 Limited. Toyota. Let's go places. JBL and Clarifier registered trademarks of Harman International Industries Incorporated. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello. Happy uh, we beat the hell out of UConn yesterday week. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, we should have won by 30, but winning by nine is fine, too. Win's a win. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those, uh, the store didn't really indicate how the game went, and also, like, they never really, like, there were a couple times I got nervous when we were within, like, seven, but I think that was the extent. I think that was, like, the closest they got in the second half, so I'll take it, because we've, like, kind of, we lost to them last year, I believe, and um, we've had some frustrating games with them recently, so it was good to get that, that monkey off our back, and now now if we can follow it up with a, a nice Georgetown win, which has been even more frustrating, because they've been very, very bad, um, that'd be great. That'd be a, a really nice uh, way to, to head into uh, close to ACC play. Hey, listen, it's undefeated Georgetown with votes in the polls. Oh, yes. Because of that, you know, incredible schedule they faced of schools that we probably didn't know existed. Yeah, it's utter nonsense. And at the same time, you know what, like Georgetown's doing the smart thing. You're, you're in a very hard rebuild. Save face. Let Patrick Ewing get his feet under him a little bit as a head coach, which he's never been at this point. Like let your young team maybe figure itself out, gain some confidence. Like, there's a lot of different things that, uh, you know, can be served by this, even if they're going to have, you know, even if they only go, let's say, 18 and 13 this year and, and have a garbage RPI and straight the schedule's a joke. Like, at the end of the day, like, you weren't angling to make the tournament this year. And, and, and if you went into the campaign knowing that, and then you, you know, put that out of your mind and said, let's just play to, to win games, develop our program, uh, help our coaching staff out, um, you know, just kind of figure out what it wants this team to be and how it wants to play. Like, all, I think all of these things, and, you know, this traces back to, all, you know, the scheduling philosophy that the entire site has pretty much been behind since day one for football, um, is that, you know, schedule easier, help your team gain confidence, help your team not get injured because they're facing, you know, more physically imposing um, teams as much. And then eventually, you know, you're able to compete with those uh, with those bigger teams. So, you know, as much as we, we are happy to mock the Hoyas at every turn here, um, I, I can't really argue with their their hard reset strategy here, at least. Yeah, I don't have a huge problem with it. I think it's a little different for basketball where um, you have so many games and you would like to see, you know, some kind of development. But, you know, it is Ewing's first year as a head coach. It's his first year coaching in college after, you know, a pretty extensive NBA assistant coaching career. So, um, I mean, they, they know what they are. Uh, it's just hilarious to see them getting votes because they've beaten up on, like, a bunch of 300-plus RPI teams. But at the end of the day, that's not going to really matter because unless they're shockingly uh, shockingly good this year, um, which I don't expect, uh, and I haven't actually watched them play, so I'm you know, just going off of seeing their schedule and the scores and whatnot, um, they're not going to flirt with the tournament anyway. So uh, hopefully we can go and, and knock them around and, have it be even more definitive than this UConn game was. Oh, yeah, I would love nothing more than to kind of issue a little payback for the last few games. Um, definitely has have not been my favorite uh, things to watch. And the timing of all those games have obviously been just 
problematic in general for us um, of late. Uh, so definitely not, you know, definitely would not like to see a, a third straight loss to a lesser Georgetown squad um, on this end. I, I think in general, like, this, the, the polling thing did sort of expose what we already knew um, about the polls is that, you know, while there are some folks who, who carefully consider um, the teams they're selecting and the results, there's plenty of people who just kind of mail it in based on name recognition. And obviously that was the case in Georgetown's, um, I guess, case here where, you know, you, you see undefeated, you see a name that you recognize and you go, all right, like, just toss them in. Um, and, you know, as much as at the end of the day, this really doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's a poll at the beginning of a long college basketball season. Um, they still didn't make the actual poll. They were just, uh, you know, others uh, receiving votes. Um, it's not really that big a deal. Um, I'm not going to get worked up about it. But it was just, a, to me, at least a conversation point uh, as we were about a week out or so from our game against Georgetown. But first, we have to play other former rival uh, Colgate. Yeah, uh, I, I don't expect too much drama with that one. Um, I feel like Colgate's when we have like the crazy, crazy long money streak against, right? Like 50, 60 years. Yeah, I think it's been, I think it's been since the 60s, and I think we've played them almost every year. I know with Cornell, we took we take some time off here and there, um, but with in Colgate's case, I think it is. This is amazing radio. It's been a lot of wins. We don't have like an official number on orange hoops, but the last time we lost was uh, 1962. We lost to uh, Howard Hartman's uh, Raiders team, 67-63. It was at home, actually. I think we've played them every year. Um, I I think it's like, you know, it might be every year since then. I think, well, um, we've played them every year, it looks like, every year since 1993. We took 10 years off between 83 and 93. Really? Yeah. Who is that? There's someone that we've played, like, virtually every... Is it Cornell? Is that the one? It could be Cornell. I feel like with both of them, though, like, we took time off. Yeah, because Cornell we faced every year only since 2013. And okay, so it can't be them. Yeah, we skipped them here and there. I really think it's... I honestly think like the Colgate's as close as it gets for us. Yeah, I th- I'm pretty sure that was it. Um, I'm sure once we get like towards the games, the Syracuse.com folks will have all of the all the relevant numbers like that. Um, but again, not too worried about the Raiders. Uh, I don't think we've ever even like flirted with losing with them since I can remember. Um, no idea how good they are because that's also usually not a thing. Well, <laughs> um, I mean, they're three I, and four. They're three and four, and I know they tested. We talked about them last week. Didn't they test Columbia and then... They beat, beat Columbia. They beat Columbia and then obviously Our new Columbia. favorite team. Yeah, and then Columbia tested Georgetown. They beat Columbia. They lost to UConn. We actually have a lot of like uh, common opponents. Um, they lost to UConn by 12 in the season opener. Uh, they beat Cornell by 11. And then they've lost to Columbia by uh, 6. And they've played Albany and Binghamton recently. And they're playing Marist uh, right now. Oh. So a lot of New York City, not a lot of New York State teams for them. I mean that makes sense. If you're a smaller private school, you want to keep things uh, as close as possible, unless you're getting like a big payout game. Mm-hmm. Doesn't look like they have another big trip uh, before they enter conference play. They go to Navy. 
which is interesting. Uh, although, although that's is conference. they still in the Patriot League for yeah. for basketball? They are okay. Um, yeah, so it looks like the trip to UConn was, and then they played at BC and they lost by four because BC is apparently still pretty bad. Yeah, I, I remember seeing all that hype. Like, it wasn't it was Norlander, right? That that had BC like I think right behind us in terms of like quality in his like top three fifty one rankings or whatever. Uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, um, I think he had us at like ninety nine or something stupid, and then like BC was like hundred. Right, uh, BC has is six and three with losses to Texas Tech, uh, Providence by twenty, and I know Providence is pretty good, and then Nebraska by nine. Um, so they might have to wait another year for the uh, the the endless rebuild to uh, really make its moves here. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm not banking on that. But for now, I'll take the two potentially free wins in ACC play against them and yeah, Pitt be nice. and Wake, maybe. I'll take I'll take a 6-0 stretch from them and then see what we can do against everybody else. If we get if we take all six of those games, I think we'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah, I, I would I think we can good. manage to win another three from someone. See, I feel like with that, though, I feel like if we won those six games, I feel like we'd need to win another four. Well, let's say let's say we clean up. I mean, that might be true because those would be pretty weak overall. Yeah. If we clean up in non-conference, we'd be eleven and one, right? Um, Twelve and one. Yeah. Twelve and one. Um, yeah. So we probably would, we'd need like a signature win because that that wouldn't be. We need to we need to win over one of the ring teams, which I, you know, I, it's way it's way to tell. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, Ball State I think could it's do it. Pretty, yeah, that's true, but. I mean, it, it's still early to call because you know we, we obviously I think we hunt with Kansas a little better than the short the score showed. Right. Um, that being number two, uh, I think some of these ACC teams might uh, pose more difficult challenges stylistically than Kansas did. I know they bombed threes, but they also have very little depth and uh, didn't do anything really to match our front court, which um, I think some other teams will have uh, more success against. Um, I could see us beating like Virginia. I'm not. I'm not super sold on Virginia this year. Advanced um, metrics are though. Like I was looking up like some win projections. I mean, they're they're, they're always darlings in the advanced oh, yeah. metrics. Like I was looking up some win projection stuff, and out of every game, I think them and Duke are the least likely wins. They're like single digit probabilities, while we're actually favored in all but like one game from now until uh, Notre Dame. Hmm, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think Notre Dame, I think we we actually have moved up to like a 45% chance to beat them now. At least according to one site's uh, probabilities. Yeah, I, I still think Notre Dame's very good. I know uh, the Ball State loss is, is not great. Um, those things happen. Uh, well, we'll see. I, I'm interested to see how we handle Bouncy Colson because we do have some size inside, although we, we need... Uh, uh, Sidibe uh, to really bounce back here. He's been dealing with his uh, his. What, what do we know? What, officially, what his injury is? I think it was a knee. Like a, it was a knee, but then yesterday it was all ankle. You could tell he was limping around pretty significantly. Um, I think it's an overcompensation issue at this point because if if it is the knee and then he went out there anyway on it, and then I don't he, think we would have played him if it was like something that was we thought right. was very serious. Um, but you could tell right before he got pulled. Finally, like he was he was really struggling on it. Um, Especially when he got pulled out, like from the center. Right. Um, but I mean, if we have both those guys and we have our full rotation, uh, obviously now we are without uh, Gino Thorpe, um, who kind of looked like he was going to be the odd man out uh, based on the early like numbers. 
Um, now he's definitely the odd man out. So, since, I mean, now he's the odd man out, <laughs> given that he's not on the team anymore. But Howard Washington um, looked good yesterday, and Matt Moyer put in quite a bit of work. I mean, obviously not the same position, but you know, having Moyer be able to come in and actually play significant minutes and make a real major impact on the game, like that's what we needed. That's what I needed to feel a little bit better about this offense was having another. And you and I talked about this in the season preview episode. Like, okay, like we know our one guy's battle, and battles actually put in, I think, better work than we even thought he could. But then beyond him, like, I think Brissett, Howard, and if Moyer can step up, if the three of them can kind of rotate around, it'll make up for teams starting to focus in on battle and having the, you know, horses to do it, unlike a lot of these non conference teams. Um, and also make up for the fact that. You know, teams are letting Chukwu do whatever the hell he wants under the basket because they know he can't put the ball in the rim. Yeah, I mean, if we get, I, I'm not going to expect uh, the the like, possessed Matt Moyer that we got yesterday. <laughs> and, and honestly, like being at the game and and just randomly sitting very close, like Matt Moyer looked like literally looked like a man possessed, going after loose balls. And obviously, he's been a, a hustle guy the whole time. That's why he's gotten the minutes he has up to this point. But um, both tip slams like were just pure. Uh, reading that he got lost, uh, UConn did a very uh, some other year Syracuse job of boxing out, and he flew in on both of those. Um, there was one play where he uh, beat two UConn uh, players to a, a loose ball rebound that he had no business getting. Um, just like very little things, but he was like, I don't know if if, if Beheim said something to him before the game or if he just like took it upon himself, but something got lit under him in this game, and hopefully it's not just a flash in the pan uh, because man, he was. Just like exactly what you need from that four position um, with the guards that we have, and with uh, you know what the rest of this makeup of this team is. I don't expect him to be an eighteen and eight guy, but if if Moyer can be like a solid twenty to twenty five minute hustle player uh, and get you like eight and six on a nightly basis, and and have those athletic plays and and do good job work on the on the boards as as the whole team has done this year, like he's going to be a very valuable player. Yeah, I mean, I, I love what he did, and I think, you know, the fact that it was out of nowhere was interesting. I mean, you mentioned the boxing out. I've I've rarely seen teams be that bad at boxing out, um, like in a—I mean, especially a team like UConn that has the ability to be better in that department. Um, just a miserable performance by them in terms of, like, keeping our, our big men out. And to me, I, I think that was a little bit of a blueprint, too. I mean, UConn's not as talented as the top of the ACC, but— that seemed like a bit of a blueprint for Syracuse going forward to really just attack the rim on both ends. And it, it ended up, you know, creating loose ball opportunities. Obviously, if you guy like Moyer, a guy like Dolzai, the two of them being able to kind of scrap, you know, underneath, it, it changed the tenor of, of the half-court offense, which is very bad, by the way. Um, and I know it's something you agree with and, and something that really kind of came to a head when UConn kept, you know, pushing us and pushing us a little bit yesterday. Um, seeing that was worrisome, but again, like, the the being able to kind of toss it in the middle and see what happens um, style of offense does have some redeemable qualities at least and it could potentially down the road um, especially against teams that we might overmatch physically. I mean we're going to need to because we're we're shooting uh, just over twenty seven percent from three. We're not shooting very well from the field. I think it's a hair over forty three percent. We don't like the effort offense. The ball movement just gets very very stale. Um, we saw some flashes yesterday. A part of that was yesterday was Frank Howard was abysmal. Um, but, I mean, they're averaging, I think, 12 assists a game, which is incredibly low, yeah. considering they're storing, I mean, I don't know how many field goals a game. Um, eight games, we have 200 made field goals, 207. 
So it's not ideal, and it's a lot of ISO ball from battle. Uh, so yeah, we're storing, we're 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 hitting about 26 field goals a game, and we are assisting on fewer than half of them. Um, just not good. We're slightly better in transition, but we're not a great transition team either. Uh, so it's it's right now this offense is basically. Uh, battle isos occasionally uh, Howard can find a lob to someone or Brissette takes a die off the wing um, so we need to we need to start getting some more stuff there um, I think you know with Dolezal and uh, Moyer um, I don't expect us to start running plays for either of them but if they can kind of keep on chipping in on these second chance points and these uh, just finding gaps in the defense and and taking smart shots if we can keep on if, if Chuku can start converting a little bit more he's had, he's had some flashes where he goes on a run where he'll score like six points in a row um, in a couple of these games recently, but then he'll have like the missed dunk from the Kansas game or some of these missed bunnies where he looked like Paul Harris in the six overtime game. And he's like, he's seven two. You just go up, man. Come on. Yeah. Like, just, just dunk it. There's literally nothing like stopping you from doing that. And it's super. Right. But then he had that, that awesome play yesterday where he like basically crossed the guy up off the wing and, and took a baseline and slammed it. So like, if he can do that, like he's not, a, he's not a stiff, like, like two can play a little bit. He just needs to be more consistent. But I think there's something there. Uh, so these have to come along. I think that the offense will improve. Uh, the problem is the schedule's going to ramp up, and you need to hope that the offense and these young guys improve offensively um, and keep pace with what the schedule's going to turn into once we get into conference play. Right. That's going to be the bigger issue. I mean, like I was saying, teams that have some size that can match up with us, like that's going to be a bit of a problem in there. I think also, like, you know, you had mentioned like what our kind of you know two or three plays are on offense. Like if if we're going to be that readable um, in ACC play, things are going to turn south against teams that have better defenses. Looking specifically at Virginia, um, who can definitely defend that sort of thing. Like if all we're going to do is run the same sort of plays and, and expect Battle to carry the entire load, um, that's not going to go well against uh, against again the top of the ACC. That we 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 face Kansas and they're a great team, but. Beyond them, we haven't really seen anyone who is who is the caliber of you know a Notre Dame or a Virginia, Duke, North Carolina, Miami. Like that's a significant portion of our schedule or, or teams like that. Um, and you know, obviously, you don't want to be incredibly predictable against the squad against those sort of squads, even if some of them might not be the best defensive teams. It's going to be a struggle all year. Think. Um, hopefully, we can continue to play good interior defense. I think. Uh, yesterday we we had some trouble on that end with uh, leaving guys open. Um, I mean, UConn hit over forty percent of their threes. Oh, good lord! And it was really the only reason why they were even in it. Um, wide really open. Not, yeah, wide open shots. And they're a, and they're um, not a good three point shooting team. No, that's the other, that's the thing. Um, I was talking to UConn fans before the game, and they were like, "Oh, we're not going to shoot at all." I'm like, "Yeah, this game will be played in the sixties, probably," uh, which wasn't totally wrong um, because we can't shoot either, but. Um, our interior defense is, is very good. We collapse on guys very, pretty well. I can't remember the last second chance points we gave up. The problem is, um, I think our young our young wings uh, have trouble rotating over, and Howard still gets lost sometimes. Battle's pretty good, uh, and Battle had like five steals yesterday. But I mean, you know, with, with a team this young, you would expect the defense to actually probably be behind where it is. So hopefully, this is like a whole thing where we're going to grow as a group. Um, otherwise, that uh, it'll be a real struggle. But uh, I mean, it's, it's hard to really complain what we've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, overall, I'd say that and we touched on this last week, too. I, I think I'm more impressed by a lot of things uh, than I thought I'd be at this juncture. But a couple changes here and there. I, I know we talked about it on Slack a little bit today, too. Like, you know, defense inside the arc, great. Defense outside the arc, not so much. You saw a lot of, like, guys kind of, you know, sprinting across the court to, to cover a guy who was, you know, shooting a wide-open three. 
Um, that's not going to happen when, when, when the zone is really moving from, you know, end to end really, really well. Um, but at the same time, the reason that those shots were open was because SU did such a great job locking down the middle. Um, and, you know, I don't have the full numbers in front of me, but UConn really wasn't able to get much done um, on the inside, which is great. Two random notes before we continue on this, and we're almost at halftime here. Um, we had our second straight day of a top 10 upset. Uh, I don't know if you were scoreboard watching, but Loyola Chicago beat Florida, who is uh, who is now I think definitively bad. Um, <laughs> bad uh, uh, that's it's been established now. <laughs> Florida, Florida, actually bad. Um, also, Washington I, I is up losing. two on Kansas. It was up two. Washington. Go go hop. Go hop, but also don't mess up our strength of schedule. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. Do we have to, uh, I don't know. Well, I can't root against Hop. No, I'm not going to root against Hop. I just don't. I just don't really care if he wins this game. <laughs> That's fair. Um, it's also very early. It's just before the half. Um, yeah. How does Loyola Chicago, which I can't ever remember being good at all, at anything, um, at anything, and even differentiate uh, themselves from the from the other Loyolas? Yeah, like they're like probably the least Loyola that I. I mean, they're like the last Loyola I would think of. We talked about Loyola last week. It was not <laughs> Chicago. I have now learned they are the Ramblers. Ooh, that's fun. That's something. That's a name. Um, they're 8-1. Uh, they got blown out by Boise State in their last game. Um, Loyal, you're on the short list now. <laughs> you are, yeah. <laughs> you are on the low major short list here. Um, they beat UMKC. They beat Wright State. They beat uh, Kent State, which is a nice, you know, that's a, a MAC team, which I guess is a, still technically a mid-major. They beat UNC Wilmington. Yeah. Uh, all right, this is a this is a little team. And Florida's uh, garbage. They're five and three now. Yeah, I mean, Florida's so dead. Florida lost to everyone. Uh, they lost to Duke in the PK eighty, right? Uh, uh, I think so. Oh, they lost three straight. Oof. Yeah, they lost to Duke in that really awesome PK eighty game, and then they got blown out by Florida State the other day. And now uh, Loyola, Illinois, or is it Loyola Chicago? Like the the the, the abbreviation is L I L. But then it's apparently Loyola Chicago, so ESPN's gonna figure this out. That's silly. Also, while we mentioned we mentioned Florida State, they're near. I mean, just by way of games played, they're not at the top of the standings. But I mean, we we have a lot of pretty good teams in the ACC once again, and that kind of has me. You know, I I I talk about how deep this conference is all the time, and everybody else does too. But you know, when you see Louisville at five and two, knowing that they're better than that. When you see NC State at seven and two, you know Notre Dame at seven and two, and you know they're better than that. Clemson maybe, I mean they're not better than seven and one, but if they're the fact that they're able to get there is a good thing. I mean, Florida State getting to eight and zero is something unexpected when they were kind of picked um, below us in many cases. Um, de- definitely, this conference might be deeper than last year, even if it's not in the ways we thought it would be. Wake and Georgia Tech look really bad. Um, those were surprising things so far. Uh, Louisville, I think, is struggling the way we thought they would. Um, a lot of other people were just kind of denying the fact that they could struggle, um, but that happens if you trade in a Hall of Fame coach for a first-time coach. It just there's certain adjustments that can't get made. There's certain preparation. I mean, yeah, he's not really changing the team much from Patino, but Paget's obviously going to have a little bit of a learning curve. And I mean, with luck for him, maybe figures out that learning curve here. 
um, versus an ACC play where, you know, you can pay pretty dearly for it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's going to be a, a grind as it always is. Um, even even like in years past, when you're playing like the 12th ranked ACC team, like it's not always, I mean, we've seen with Boston College even, uh, which I do think is more on us than, than the ACC as a whole. Um, there aren't like a, a ton of just straight passes and, and hopefully Syracuse is a tough out as well because I think this will be a kind of a different style than what teams come to expect from us. And also, I, I just looked this up. Loyola, Chicago, um, apparently won the 1963 National Championship. Interesting. Were they the Ramblers back then? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I honestly have no idea if they were the Ramblers <laughs> back then. Um, <laughs> I mean, they won it because they were integrated and other schools were not. Way to go, guys. So respect for Loyola Chicago, a, a dormant college basketball powerhouse. Maybe who lasted in the tournament in 85. They Horizon? Yes, they are Horizon. Way to go, gang. Um, all right. want to do a little halftime, then we can jump back into some more basketball stuff, uh, figure out what else we want to talk about, because Colgate preview is only going to get us so far. But, uh, Dan, what have you been drinking? Nothing really. I, I've kind of been under the weather the last couple of days. I do have a fridge full of uh, new craft stuff, though. So I think next week I will be able to report back more. But this week was uh, pretty dormant just as I, I wasn't feeling great for most of the last couple of days. Very nice. Yeah, I didn't drink a ton last weekend. Um, I do have a variety pack of Sierra Nevada's uh, like winter stuff. I was heading up to the – well, hopefully heading up to the mountains this weekend. We'll see what happens with the uh, – with the fire situation and everything uh, up north, but if I do go up there, I will be having a, uh, a sampler pack from the Sierra Nevada family of beers. Um, some things that I drank of late had uh, one way or another. It's a sour from uh, Brewery Tarot and uh, Cascade. Really nice collab. Uh, surprised it didn't cost $75 for the bottle based on the, uh, the pricing that those two brands will usually go with, but uh, really, really good beer. Enjoyed that one a lot. Had a hop tonic from uh, Smog City, Twenty uh, Fourth Street Pale Ale from uh, Strand over here. Had a Wild Ale from uh, Monkish, a Discordant Melody, and also had from Monkish uh, Xylophone Tones, just a double IPA, uh, and their typical uh, New England style kind of hazy IPAs. Um, and I also had the Feminist from uh, Monkish. It's a Belgian triple. So uh, Monkish actually started as a Bel- as a Belgian ale style uh spot and then kind of pivoted to ipas is uh and sours they still do the belgian styles but ipas and sours have kind of become their uh, their jam now and uh yeah i'll always stop in for for one of those from them yeah i mean that makes sense that they were a uh, a belgian shop first considering the name yeah that uh that was definitely their they actually used to have a sign up at the top um that said like no ipas and then they <laughs> and they conspicuously took that down and and now they make then a lot. Of realized money. they were in California, and yeah. uh, that wasn't a fly. Nope. And now they make a lot of money off IPAs. So, <laughs> so way to go, guys. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll jump into Colgate stuff, um, and we'll see where we go from there. Um, Colgate has lost three straight. They're three and five overall. Um, their last win was against Columbia. Uh, again, you mentioned that they only lost to BC by four. Uh, they've beaten UMBC. They beat uh, Cornell by eleven. They are, like most teams in the Patriot, currently have a losing record. Only team with a winning record in the Patriot, well, teams with a winning record in the Patriot right now are Navy and Army. Um, So, yeah, I think Colgate is exactly what we usually expect from them, which is good enough not to completely tank the RPI, but not really 
good enough to matter. All right, so so I'm looking through the roster. Some weird, some interesting notes. Uh, their second leading scorer, Jordan Burns, is a freshman from San Antonio. Huh. I don't know how that happens. He's averaging 13.6 points a game. Um, their leading scorer, Will Raymond, uh, is from the New York City, which makes more sense. Can I just call him uh, Rayman? Like, just for the hell of it? You can, I'm if you want. Call I mean, him no Ray- you. Rayman, and then uh, Jordan Swapshire just has a fantastic name. Swapshire, okay, this was... Is he related to the Louisville Swapshire? This is... <laughs> This is going to be uh, quite the search. Eh, we got Jared Swapshire. Um, I mean, how many Swapshires does there be? It seems like quite a few now. <laughs> Apparently. Um, yeah, that was my next question. and uh, But he's been at Colby for three years. Um, he's I mean, they, they have, you know, a couple double-digit guys. Four, I think, averaging at least ten points a game. Um it doesn't look like a lot of size. I mean, out of those guys, I think just swap shares like six, seven. I, I'm going to assume, and they only average 33 rebounds a game, so I, I'm going to assume this is going to be rough for them on that end. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is not going to go well for them. It seems like the swap shares are not related. Um, also, uh, Will Rayman, as we're going to refer to him, uh, is only six eight two oh five, so he's coming in around like. You know, dull as eye size when he's not really going to be able to to hack against guys like Chukwu, who should be able. I mean, as long as he can keep the foul numbers down, should be able to uh, to out rebound them on his own, perhaps. But uh, yeah, Dana Bat is their biggest guy who's in the rotation. He averages twenty four minutes a game, and he is six foot nine. Uh, Rayman, uh, our favorite Mega Man villain, is their <laughs> leading rebounder. Um, the the one thing like and and this these numbers like looking at them now versus like and then you realize that college teams just shoot and hit a lot more threes than they used to, but they do shoot just under forty percent from three. So um, we could have some uh, interesting moments with open shots, um, but overall they're not shooting very well from the field. Uh, so I, I expect them to, to kind of jack them up. It looks like almost half of their actually more than half of their uh, overall field goal attempts are from three point range. So we're going to see them jump up a bit. If- I guess. I mean, that's fine as long as they don't hit a ton of them. And I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like only one player is really going to do that. Uh, well, now I get two. Rayman, who I, I my my Rayman reference was a uh, was one to the uh, Ubisoft video game of uh, the. Oh, is that the guy? Is that the one with like no uh, no torso? Is that? Yeah, he's just got like no arms and legs, but he's got like feet and hands. Yeah, he, he well he has a torso. He has no connective yeah. like limbs. He just has right, he's his extremities but not arms. Just weird. Um I don't know how that would work for basketball. I mean, I could couldn't really get fouled. You couldn't get fouled and it who knows like what, how far you could extend yourself because if, if you don't have any limbs to stop you, now your now your hand can go ten feet in the air and you can block everybody. That's true. I haven't played a Rayman game. Could he just like dunk from standing? Like could he just send his hands with the ball? We're gonna to have to investigate this. Let's, uh, let's <laughs> as somebody who's in the in the know on video games. We'll have to get our Rayman our Rayman experts uh, on the case. Yeah, I, would Rayman be good at basketball? <laughs> Should we tweet it now and see? Yeah, I'm let's tweet uh, it out now. Do it. Let's retweet me, and we'll see if we get an answer by by the end of of us recording. <laughs> I, I I have some faith here. Yeah, I uh, I stopped playing video games after NCAA football uh, stopped being made. 
Um, and the only thing I do play now is uh, some old school Pokemon on the uh, on the old Game Boy Color, just to pass the time. So I, I'm not the person to ask, unfortunately. Yeah, I know there were Rayman games recently, but I, I also have like mostly stopped playing video games aside from like the occasional like random game of FIFA. Um, if NCAA football ever comes back, I will I will force myself back into it um, just because NCAA football's the best. Oh, same. The second it comes back, I'm gonna go buy a system like that day. There is no doubt in my mind. Um, but yeah, as I mentioned, we have um, two players that could hit threes. Uh, one of them is Rayman. The other one is Jack Ferguson, who uh, who doesn't play a ton, but he is like kind of a, a little bit of a three point specialist. He's eight of eighteen on threes this year. Uh, that doesn't sound that impressive, but it's something. He uh, he's a freshman from Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's six three and one hundred and seventy pounds, so he's a lanky guy. And uh, yeah, if you're looking for a, a random person to light us up from three in this one before we uh, settle things down, he's probably it. Let's see what his career high is and, and see what we're, what we're looking at here. I mean, he's a freshman, so it's not really going to be that high. It's 12, oh, 12 minutes BC. He played uh, in 11 minutes. How did that happen? Looks like... You <laughs> lit up BC in those 11, 11 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he, he's the he perfect is, person for this. He's already... We already know who it is. It's, it's him. No, it's definitely him. I'm looking at, at his game log. He was three for five against Cornell from three. He was over four in his first game at UConn in 17 minutes. That, that was the most he's played. Um, he played 14 minutes against Cornell, also his career high of 12, three for five from three. Uh, he played just three minutes since UMBC. And then the BC game, he came in and scored 12 minutes in 11, or 12 points in 11 minutes on four of seven threes. Um, all of his shots were from three. Um, and then he's, he's hit just two of four since then. He, he had a DNP against Albany. Um, so, yeah, this guy is... Is very feast or famine. Um, so yeah, he's going to score eighteen points. He's going to hit uh, five of eight, um, and then uh, another basket and a free throw, and he's going to score eighteen points in sixteen minutes of play against us. Oh, hundred percent. I I already have the article written in my head uh, when I do my uh, my weekly kind of things you need to know about this team, and that usually includes who's going to kill us. And I uh, since I've been doing those. Um, I, I usually do add in the, the guy who's going to lay the stuff from three along with the guy who's just going to score a lot of points. And, uh, yeah, I think Jack Ferguson definitely fits the bill. Um, I looked up his profile on Colgate's website, and Jack Ferguson looks exactly the way I imagined. Um, <laughs> he looks like a Jack Ferguson. He does look like Jack Ferguson. <laughs> he also played golf in high school and ran track. This is the most Jack Ferguson that's ever existed. And he goes to Colgate, I mean... Yeah, that's true. I'm looking it up now. <laughs> the, too Colgate, too furious. Just... <laughs> oh God, he's such a Jack Ferguson. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, like if I... he looks like a Disney Channel original movie by oh, character. Oh Jesus! And now we're and, and now we're officially dragging. And he's from world. Indiana. Oh yeah, M- most oh, Indiana. This is, this is oh Jack. <laughs> the, the, here, this will be the price we pay for this. What will be your 18 point breakout against Syracuse on, yeah, AC, on ACC we Network? We were Extra. expecting him to have his best game uh, by far of his college career, of his young college career. Yeah. Um, yes, we see. We see big. Unless he's injured, like we don't know. I again fully expect to see a lot of him. Uh, that's fine as long as we win by at least 20. I, I think I'll be happy with the with, with win in this one. 
given the team's kind of struggles from the rest of the field, I, I don't expect them to have a lot of luck storing inside against their defense. So I think they will knock down some threes. Um, but I think this will be a pretty tough outing for them. Otherwise, I don't think uh, they will rebound against us at all. Um, I expect like a solid like 25-point win. Yeah, that's fine. Although, one, again, side note, I'm side noting again to Kansas-Washington. People are saying that the big reason why Kansas is losing to Washington, or at least sticking around with Washington, oh, they, well, actually, you know, Kansas is up, is down six right now. And they're saying that Kansas has no size and that Washington is exploiting that fact. It's funny because they feel like nobody ever mentioned that when we were doing that the other night. But then again, we weren't up six in the second half against them either. No, and also, like, how, I mean, how much size does Washington have? I don't really don't know much about this Washington team. I, I wanted to pay more attention to them, and then, like, life caught up, and, and regular season patchwork basketball is hard to come by, to be honest. It's not the easiest thing to watch. Thanks, Patrick. Like, physically, Network. you can't actually find it. <laughs> yeah, not the, uh, not the best move on that conference's part, but we've been over this already, about just how kind of, like, not good the Pac-12 is at, like, getting their product out there. Well, we're on this subject. Um, I don't know if you saw that quote from David Shaw the other day, who was like, you know, once again complaining about the fact that like SEC and ACC only play eight teams in conference play and all that. Um, and he was saying, you know, like USC, like they play 12 straight games and like, well, like who told them to play 12 straight games? Like who told the Pac-12 to put their best team through the ringer and like for- force them into a situation where of course they're going to lose two games. Um you know, who told Stanford to schedule, you know, two to three power conference teams every year in non-conference play? Nobody. Just a very, like, like the Pac-12 is a great league and it's a hell of a lot of fun. And Pac-12 After Dark has become this, like, kind of cult thing that's, that's you know, really a blast. But at the same time, like, there's just this, like, you guys are becoming a non-factor in the playoff race because of how you're scheduling and, like, I don't like the SEC's mailing it in and then just getting invites for the hell of it. But at the same time, like it obviously has its advantages. Clemson's actually thrived despite not mailing it in. Um, they've been playing two power conference teams outside of conference play for the last few years, at least usually a mix of like Georgia and Auburn plus their South Carolina date every year. I just think, you know, if you're the PAC 12, like stop making excuses. Like you, you have a really tight, league right now of, of teams where even the bottom of it, I mean, other than like Oregon State this year, who just like the bottom fell out and that's why they replaced their coach. Like, and then they made, I think an uninspired hire after going after a, at first inspired hire in Bo Baldwin. Like I don't really see, I don't really see how the Pac-12 missing the playoff is anybody else's fault, but theirs for not instructing their teams to maybe look out for everybody's best interest a little bit more. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and obviously Stanford, I don't think they were a playoff caliber team anyway this year. Their quarterback issues are um, just, I mean, they were pretty one-dimensional offense. I know things got better when they put in uh, the freshman whose name is escaping me. Um, oh, uh, yeah, sorry. I don't remember. The Italian uh, so what you're for. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. we'll I'll look it up for, for poignancy. But, um, Costello. Yeah, the Italian kid. Costello. Uh, Costello. He was a All-American Good, good quarterback. He'll get better. But, um, you know, you, you, you're, uh, Georgia can do that because they have a ridiculous defense and two amazing running backs. Stanford has one, um, and a lesser defense, and Jake Fromm is 
probably a little farther ahead. Um, but overall, I mean, Stanford's in kind of a tough shot spot because they have that, that Notre Dame date every year. Playing Rice is great, but, like, San Diego State is never an easy game. And if they hadn't had that game on the schedule, then, uh, you know, I, I don't think they would have been in the playoff, but they would have had, what, two losses heading into the USC, uh, into the Pac-12 championship? Yeah, with um, a big win over Notre Dame. I mean, granted, the San Diego State game, it depends on how much you want to chalk that one up to the blackout that happened mid-game. Or I, I kind of forgot about that. That was so long ago. Third quarter Yeah, I do remember that now. But either way, I mean, Stanford specifically schedules themselves in a hole. But I, I part of me commends, like, these conferences for playing the nine conference teams. I think um, the ACC would be more interesting in a lot of ways if they did that. But um, it's definitely, like, not a great recipe for success if you're trying to just get yourself some wins. And obviously, you brought up Clemson. Clemson's for, you know, one of the two or three best college football programs right now. Um, so they can afford to play up to teams and, yeah. and, and they obviously have a, a great home field that they can rely on and they can, you know, slip up and in Syracuse one week and, and be okay. Um, but yeah, for these Pac-12 teams, um, they really aren't putting themselves in the, in the best position to make the playoffs. Same with the Big 12, which obviously Oklahoma's great, so they made it, but um, if they had, you know, lost the Big 12 championship, I, I don't know that TCU would have made it in. Definitely not. Um, the ACC and SEC, like, they just seem to know what they're doing with and and there's no uh, I don't know that it's a coincidence that the the only two leagues now that have not missed the playoffs are the ones with eight with eight conference teams. Yeah, and I mean, in some ways nine would be better, but I think because of just what the teams do from a non-conference standpoint, including facing one another here and there, um, it doesn't really allow for it. I think that I understand why the other leagues do it. Well, maybe not the. Well, the Big 12 does it for different reasons than the Pac-12 and Big 10 do it. The Big 10 and Pac-12 do it for TV inventory. The Big 12 does it because it doesn't make sense to play all but one team in your non-conference play. Um, and it's obvious why the ACC and SEC avoid it, and one of the after-effects of that um, is that they're always, in, they're always in the playoff. I think that if you're the Pac-12, you know, you're, you're getting hurt by it because of how deep your league is. The Big 10 isn't as deep, so you can still, I mean... At the end of the day, they had the fifth and sixth best teams in the country, according to the playoff committee. Um, that's nothing to, to necessarily scoff at, but um, the Big Ten can still get away with it because of the fact that for every for every time you have to play Wisconsin in a crossover or Michigan or Michigan State, you also get to play Purdue, Rutgers, Illinois, Maryland, Indiana. Like the, 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 there's a steady you know, basement of the Big Ten that's not necessarily going to go away anytime soon. Um, maybe it does one day, but I'm not banking on it, um, despite the amount of money pouring into that league. I think the Pac-12 is unfortunately just in a different scenario, and maybe, I mean, they're not going to expand um, without, you know, tearing the Big 12 apart. But if they did, like, and had a legitimate, like, bottom of the league, like, maybe that would work. But, like, it's... It's been a weird confluence of events for them um, because you have, you know, USC with sanctions and USC coming off sanctions. Um, Stanford, who's pesky. Washington, who's resurgent. Oregon, who's kind of caught in the middle of rebuilding and reloading or something right now. Um, you know, you had Colorado, who's slightly resurgent last year, not so much this year. Utah's always pesky. UCLA doesn't know what the hell it's doing. Like, there are a lot of characters in the Pac-12, and that kind of just makes for a tough week-to-week thing. Like, the Big Ten, at the end of the day, has this consistency 
week to week. And like Ohio State is the exception, not the rule when it comes to speed um, at, at virtually every position, um, the physicality that they can bring, you know, in the trenches. Um, but for the most part, like every other Big Ten team, save Purdue, um, is just going to be kind of running at you. They're going to try to out-physical you in the trenches. You know, even even your Rutgers and Maryland's, you know, have tried to adopt parts of that. Um, also because of who they uh, who they brought in as coaches, coaches from the you know Big Ten trees. So the Pac-12, there's a there's so many different varieties of offenses and, and skill players to, to prepare for every week. Um, so this is just kind of a long way of saying like the Pac-12 would do well to go back down to eight games it would also help us out because then we'd have another group of teams that we could schedule with um and we need help there but pac 12 you are you are cutting off your nose despite your face here and i don't really know why and i wish you wouldn't because i thoroughly enjoy watching pac 12 football both in person out here as well as on tv late at night yeah it's a tough thing to do because you you can't really like go intentionally go get worse teams like i guess you could add kansas if you wanted or something and <laughs> and say it's a basketball move or whatever but i mean generally you're not trying to add teams to diminish um the football league as a whole but i do think there is something to, to not having um that like total bottom tier um because you've had you know colorado's gotten better where they're not a, a walkover cal was competitive this year uh obviously oregon state like you said was was pretty bad um but like even Arizona State looked like they were going to fall apart, and they still ended up going six and three in conference somehow and beating uh, Washington. Um, really, like there was no the only, there was only one bad Pac-12 team this year, and then there was like the Utah, Colorado, UCLA, Cal group. But all those teams, Oregon, even when they you know they were pretty good when they had Herbert, um, all those teams were like pretty competitive on a week to week basis. So um, that really hurts. Uh, like you said, it hurts your ability to. Um, you know, pencil in wins like you can even in the Big Ten where obviously you have three or four really good teams at the top of one of the divisions, but um, the bottom of that division's weak and then the rest of the, I mean, the other division is is like if you had the bottom of the Pac-12, but like the entire division in them was Thompson. Or, I mean, I was probably a little better than that, but um, it's definitely uh, a, an interesting issue because you know, I think you you'd probably say you'd rather have this than when Colorado was was hopeless and Washington State pre leech and and you know Cal when they were bad. Um, but instead, like you you have this par this uh this parody that doesn't exactly lend itself to uh, one of your teams rising up. Um, I mean USC in in a different year could have easily been a a, a playoff team, but instead, you know, the, their schedule kind of ate them. Hundred percent. I think you know, I don't think you're going to see them scale back to eight games, but. I mean, who knows if the Pac-12 starts missing on a more regular basis? And I mean, they've already have they missed more than anybody else? They've missed twice now. So yeah, this is the first year the Big Ten hasn't made it. The Big Twelve hasn't made it once. Uh, the first year, right? Um, wait, or did they? Did the Big Twelve miss last year? Or no, Oklahoma. Yeah. Oklahoma was two years ago. Who was in the playoff last year? It was Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and. Who did uh, Alabama Washington. play in the semifinal? It was Washington. Washington. Okay, so the, so the Big 12 has missed twice, and the Pac-12 has missed twice. And the Big 10 has missed for the first time. ACC and, I, and SEC are, are two for two, or a four for four. SEC is actually now five teams in four years, which is right. impressive. Well, also, and I don't really have a problem with it. I thought I, I was, I was, I don't know where you landed. I was leaning Alabama in that debate. I wouldn't have had a huge problem with Ohio State, but I thought that was probably the right call. I think Alabama was probably the better team. I I had Alabama. I mean, Alabama was the best team in the country until the last week of the season. 
and then suddenly, like, you know, you lose one game and you happen to lose it in the last week. And yes, it did cost you the division, but um, you still have one loss. You still are the most talented team in the country. Um, other than one game, you proved week in and week out, even if it was against, I'd say, like, I don't think Alabama, a lot of people focusing in on Alabama's schedule, thinking Alabama got the benefit of the doubt. They didn't. Um, I think it was more that Alabama just showed that it was showed that it was so much better than its opponents for the first eleven weeks that like you can you can forgive the one loss. Um, personally, I would put UCF in as that fourth seed, um, but and I know that that's a very college football internet thing to say, but um, that's honestly I think that would have been the best compromise. Um, don't even bother, uh, you know, having that debate between Alabama and Ohio State, but I know that would never happen. So I think Alabama was the the, the least of the evils possible in that, that fourth slot. Yeah, I mean, the UCF thing was just not going to happen. I mean, they're, they're, the, the Duba Five is just not have a, have a road in until they expand to even six. They probably have to expand to eight, to be honest, unless the six include an auto bid, which I don't think it would. Um, Nor should it, really, based on... Because for as much as... Now we were talking about this in the comments and on Twitter a little bit, like, if you look at how the teams have finished, I mean, I don't agree with how the playoff is ranked. I think the committee has done a disservice to the G5 in a lot of ways um, in terms of how they've ranked them between, you know, what they did to Marshall, Houston, um, this year with UCF. Like, UCF was still 12th um, in the playoff rankings. So even in a six-team or an eight-team, they wouldn't have made it. Um, but if you look yeah. at yeah, if you look at most years, like most years you're not going to have an unbeaten um, G5 team, um, and you're not going to have, you know, this kind of overwhelming – like grounds, but like last year, like Western Michigan was unbeaten, um, but then like nobody, nobody could make a case for them being um, like one of the four best teams. Like UCF actually had the numbers to back it up this year, and I just think like most years though you're not going to have that, um, and, and and that's fine. I just think that though when you do that, there, there's no reason, and this goes back to the old BCS issue of like, okay, they had to finish in the top eight or so to get an invite or whatever it was. Um, like, if you have a team that's worthy, then you need to recognize them. And if you don't, then you don't. Yeah, I think that that's probably the best way to go about it. I think if they got to eight, I think you would probably want one of those eight to be a group of five uh, automatic bid. Six is probably pushing it. Um, although, like, if it was six this year, I would have probably been pushing for UCF to get number six just because it would have been them versus, I mean, who ended up sixth? Uh, Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah, I would have rather seen UCF than Wisconsin, to be <laughs> honest. I don't think I don't think we, we needed to see Wisconsin play uh, Georgia. Oh, God. Um, that would have been, like, the ugliest 21-3 to, to three win, like, absolute beatdown of a 17-point win or 18-point win. Yeah, um, I I think with eight, the only thing that's tough with eight though is that you could accidentally punish the the one seed if they get like a sneaky like because who is the eight, who's the eight seed now? Uh, Auburn? No, yeah. no, Auburn seven, I think. No, that doesn't mean like if, well, I'm saying if you made the if you made the G five team, you're, you're you're an automatic in an eight team. You'd al- you'd almost always get them as the eight seed. So now if you're the one, now you have to play like a feisty Boise, UCF, Houston. Like I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily consider that a reward. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you you, you could definitely. I mean, it'd be like the you could run into some Boise State, Oklahoma stuff, which which you know, in my opinion, wouldn't be the worst thing. But no. um, I, I think if you have Nick Saban in at the one seed most years, you'd probably be okay. This is fair. Um, 
All right, before we go, um, did want to continue our conversation last week around uh, low major teams that we would like to uh, kind of follow a little bit. Um, and I was looking up and down the standings here, and a couple teams come to mind. Um, feel free to just yes or no any of these. Um, Albany seems pretty fun so far this year. Uh, In-state, obviously. there's a, We don't face them, so there's no like conflict of interest there. Um, let's see. Who else? Uh, Portland State. I always thought their brand was fun. That's that's a team that we could potentially look at. Um, is Portland State low enough? Yeah, I guess Big Sky is low enough. I think Big Sky counts, yeah. Yeah. Um, hell no to Liberty. Let's see. Nope, not even close. Nope. Uh, UCSB and UC Davis are both funnish options. Does UC Davis still have like the seven foot three kid? Uh, I think that was UC Irvine. It was. And right. I don't think he's there anymore because they're four and six. Well, I think it was. Did, did Irvine play uh, UCF a couple years ago, and they had like the two? I think so. Did that actually happen, or did I make that up? That I, that should have happened if it didn't. <laughs> I might have. I might have like <laughs> dreamt that. Um, I'm pretty. Hold on, I'm gonna look it up. I think. I think that happened. That's fine. Yeah, I'm trying to. I'd be fine rooting oh, for UC Davis. I think it happened. It should have happened. Yeah, I'm. I'm fine rooting for UC Davis, if only because I actually it's one of my favorite college towns. It is a very fun place um, to kind of hang out. I mean, it's not about the sports. It's just about, like, the environment around campus and all that. Um, just a really cool vibe uh, that they have just uh, just outside of Sacramento. Um, Dan, did we establish if it didn't happen? It did in 2015. It was a 61-60 to win for UC Irvine. Um, Taco, they, they were both 7-6. It was Taco Fall versus uh, Mamadou Njai. Um yeah, I, I I think I probably wrote about this, so I, I think this uh, that was definitely a thing I remembered. Um, Taco Fall had the better game, uh, and Jai got the win. Uh, classic battle. <laughs> yeah, I see. I can get behind Irvine, admittedly, but like just because they're the Anteaters, and they are the Anteaters. They really have a dope logo that I'm a big fan of. I'm I always like the like old school, you know, animal wearing a sweater thing. That's uh, that's always big on the brand uh, scale for me. So Ir- Ir- Irvine does have one of those. <laughs> Animal wearing a sweater. <laughs> always bonus points. I mean, th- th- think about a lot of the classic college logos. And yeah, Animal wearing oh, a sweater. Wisconsin. It's a, yeah, it's a staple. You're not wrong. Cow. I'm trying to look for the one because there's a couple <laughs> different Irvine logos. It's Anteater, Anteater with sweater. <laughs> Just... Yeah, I mean, Anteater's just a winner. Uh, we we said, oh no, I see, I see the one you're talking about, like the the actual. He's literally just an Anteater in in a UCX sweater. Yeah, this is a this is pretty good. I, I enjoy this. Um, the banana slugs is like the more obvious, like really obscure one, but that's we, I found out that's D three. I forgot UC Santa Cruz. Yeah, they're they're, they're not they're not D one, unfortunately. UC Santa Barbara's the Gauchos, which is also like a unique name. I feel like all the all the Cal like the the California State schools have pretty good nicknames. Yeah, they do. Fullerton's the Titans, and they use an elephant for that sort of like in an Oakland A's type. Why is this here? Situation. Collie's about the Mustangs. Collie's the Mustangs. Which is not, not as uh, different, yeah, but not as different. you know, there aren't that many Mustangs. 
Long Beach State's the 49ers. Riverside's the Highlanders, and then Northridge is the Matadors. Yeah, those are fine. Yeah, so that's just a strong, that's the Big West, just strong group of nicknames. Agreed. I think Big West might be the winner in just in terms of like, I mean, it's the easiest for me to watch, but uh, I think in general, like just as far as like, w- w- when you confine your borders to just California plus Hawaii, and then like just really, ha- I mean, all of these schools have something in common in that they're all UC or Cal State schools. Which is good. It's just like a nice... There's just so much brand there, and then they all have these unique mascots, which is great. Have to get the Big West props for that. Um, and I'm actually glad that the uh, the Big East thing fell apart, and San Diego and Boise didn't show up, and then they would have showed up at the Big West, and then they would have just like lorded over the Big West, and that would have ruined everything. As much as I love San Diego State, and uh, I do casually support the Aztecs by way of uh, my in-laws, um, still don't think having like one team or two teams towering over everybody else is really, like, a fun thing to do. No, I, I agree. So, I mean, you have the... You basically get the uh, Gonzaga problem. Right. Which I, I've i said many a thing about how much I hate that league for it. Um, and wish that Gonzaga would join the Mountain West. It just seems like it would make more sense. So much more sense. Um, all right. Trying to close this out here. A couple other teams. Uh, Towson's 9-1. Um... Nobody in the Horizon League looks like they're worth supporting. Um, Ivy League sucks this year. Missouri sure. Valley is probably too good to like really count, I would assume. Although I feel like enough teams have left. I mean, like Valpo's... I, I could ride with Loyola Chicago or, or, or Valpo, I guess. Loyola Chicago, I just didn't know was even a thing until today. So uh, I, I like that we discovered them kind of naturally. And I they actually, are the Ramblers. They're the Ramblers, and like... They actually used to be in the horizon, and then they replaced... They were the the, the Wichita State replacement. We, okay. All right. That's... Yeah, I think they were kind of a surprise. I, I think most... They were expecting, uh, I think, Omaha or one of those other schools, and they got Loyola Chicago instead. Well, that was a smart idea for them, just in terms of like, oh, let's just go get a bigger market and become more important in the Midwest's arguable, like, best city because yeah i want to see what their what their actual mascot looks like yeah that's that's like the the, 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 the wolf logo is kind of weird um, i don't love it it, right, looks, not... it looks like madden created team he also looks stoned like really all right. stoned all right. I, re- I can um, respect that <laughs> the, the actual mascot uh is not as is not super weird it's a pretty standard wolf so less exciting less exciting yeah. uh, they might have an actual wolf though Ooh, that's cool I'm always a big uh, fan of live mascots. I stopped in on Mike the Tiger when I was at LSU, and that dude was awesome. Let's see. All right, so this was not a full-time thing. They brought wolves on campus, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> once they, in, in 2012. They, they brought Kanye West on campus in 2012 to sing wolves. And it, it, it was a weird moment. He was, he was very in his own emotions. He, Kanye actually brought wolves on campus, thinking that they were requesting wolves instead of the song. Also, the person who wrote this blog post, so I, I don't want to just totally rip apart. Because it, it sounds like a like a fourth grade like show and tell. Uh... <laughs> we also heard about the animal shelter that they came from where they housed nine purebred wolves. Of course, as one does. Um... They had two wolves, Shinoa and Zeus, and they were amazing. <laughs> they sound amazing. <laughs> I really wish this random college in Chicago had a, had wolves on campus. <laughs> Just like muzzled and like roaming around. 
Can't, uh, can't attack anybody. Um, okay, Stephen F. Austin and Lamar. And Lamar, we had mentioned last week, ends up that they're pretty good. Um, I don't like the Summit League because I think that it's just a garbage league, just like the whack. Um, do do I want Grand Canyon to do well? I ne- I, I can't. I, I can never decide. Yeah, I, I don't know. Do we want to break open that like Pandora's box of, of for-profit schools? I mean, University of Phoenix could easily be in the whack right now. They could use help. I'm kind of shocked they haven't like made this move already. Well, like then, which campus do you pull from, or do you just become like a national university? Actually, that would be a really smart idea for University of Phoenix. To just like national this whole thing, and you just take from every campus. Tell, tell them just no. have like NAIA teams everywhere, yeah, and then tell like. Them no. What about uh, what about Utah Valley? That team that had that crazy schedule to start the year. Oh yeah, they're fun. They're the Wolverines. They opened the year. I think they had back to back days. They played at Duke and at Kentucky, the other way around, and they almost beat UK until. Uh, they're, they're, no, never mind. They have the jackass school president who decided to give their team a pop-up speech, and then they blew the game. Oh God! Why is C, why isn't CSU Bakersfield in in the Big West with everybody else? For one, and for two, uh, why is Chicago State in this conference? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I, I will say props to the UMTC, the, the Kangaroos, and I know Akron kind of had the Kangaroo mascot. But Akron's a zips. They they go halfway there. I don't understand UMPC. how that ever came about. Why Akron having kangaroo? Well, yeah. Like what? I don't know. I've been to Akron. I, I couldn't tell you. Well, UMKC's old logo was actually created by Walt Disney. Fun fact. That's interesting. It was created by Walt Disney, and now they changed the logo so that it just looks like a generic kangaroo. It's kind of stupid. Washington's up 10 on Kansas and definitely going to beat them. Doesn't make any sense. Way to go hop, though. You'll make this, you'll make this much easier in four years when Beheim retires. Yeah, no, <laughs> that, I mean, I think that that's... We can say that. Hopkins proving himself as a head coach is a nice thing because I think that there's, like... I still very much believe that he will be the next head coach at Syracuse. Oh, yeah, there's a 99.9% chance of, of that happening. Um, all right, so I think... To, to end out this rambling last five minutes to ten minutes now of this podcast, um, who are our front runners to who we're following? I think it's uh, I think it's Loyola, Chicago. Yep. Um, One of the UCs. I'm gonna go at UC Irvine, even okay. though they're they're cruising to, for a bruising this year already. I think four and six. It's um, fine. They're the anteaters. They yeah. get points. They get points for that. Um, I feel like we just need it. We need it. We need an East Coast team. We have like a Central oh, and a, all these goddamn the MAAC teams are all garbage. We need somebody. We talked about Ryder last week, but I do like that Ryder is not the Broncos. They're just the Bronx. That's stupid. <laughs> it's very dumb. I just don't but... like that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what the what the uh, the impetus of that is. What's about the NEC? I mean, Wagner's up top. See, I actually have a lot of respect for what CCSU did in football this year after, like, their... My dad's a CCSU alum, as we discussed uh, before that game. Yeah, they... And they have made the tournament, like, in the... They played Duke one year in the tournament. I know that because it was a Blue Devils on Blue Devils game. 
See, like they, in football, they started 0-3, and then they rallied and won every game after that. They made the playoff, I think. They made the playoff, but then their, uh, their best players got busted at a house party like two days beforehand. Right. That's very stupid. That's a very college football thing to happen. That is. Um, and I always, I always, we discussed them last week too. I always have a, a, an interesting place in my heart for LIU Brooklyn uh, because they have a cool environment. Let, let's, go for, let's go for them. Let's go for LIU Brooklyn. Yeah, UC, Chicago, Loyal Chicago, and and uh, and UC Irvine as our as our like pet teams that we'll we'll check in on at the close of every podcast. Cool, and we can always add a mountain a mountain uh, time zone team as well if we want. Yeah, like if one if, if one team like bursts through and suddenly becomes something interesting. Fair enough. Cool. Um, well, that like pod- our array of, of teams that we <laughs> somehow stretch this podcast way past where we probably thought we were going. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I thought this podcast was going to be done at like the fifty minute mark. Anyway, and here we are. Yeah, for, for the five people left listening, um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and uh, go orange. Go orange. Go anteaters. Go others. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.